I was like, I was a real pushover. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't know how to say no. And in the same breath, I really feel like I was longing for validation. And so I called in these like wounded birds to my life. You know, people with some real dark shit. And I helped them through it, thinking that that was validating. That that was my place, that that was my sense of belonging, that that was the thing I was supposed to do. It's Sasha here. You're listening to Dear Seekers. That was Amber Joliet. She's the founder of Misfit Studio, creator of the Misfit Method, and builder of the Misfit Community. Whether you knew her personally or through her magical classes, or from the articles written about her all over the internet, the woman we just heard she described. Probably doesn't sound like the Amber you knew. So, how did Amber transform from that pushover she calls herself to such a magnetic, purposeful, and spiritual woman we all adore and admire? What was the origin story of Misfit Studio? How does she practice the art of presence and closing the gap between her head and her heart? And what is her take on the big C word, community? I'm so glad we're doing this and sitting here today. You have no idea how excited I am. Yay! I think the first time we reached out to you was in January. And yes. And I've been so busy. Yes. Um, from what I recall, you launched your teacher's training program. Mm-hmm. And you had a collaboration with Fortnite. Yes. And you just launched your podcast with your husband, Nick. Yes. Which is amazing. And, um, and, and, and what else is new at Misfit? Well, I'm going to leave this to the end of the episode. First, let's go back. All the way back to get to know the little Ember. My parents put me in dance when I was three, which was, you know, pretty common. Yeah, but I feel like that's pretty common, at least for the people that I know that live in this city or, you know, that I've spoken to over the years. It's like an after-school program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, just drop the kids (laughs) off and dance. Yeah, and I loved it. Immediately, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And it became both dancing and drawing were two pieces that were a part of my life every single day. Yeah, my father was also an artist, and I have beautiful memories of sitting at our oval formica table with a low-hanging lamp that was very 70s (laughs) with, you know, terrible textured curtains. Remember when everybody had curtains? (laughs) (laughs) And sitting at this table with him in, in silence, but painting and drawing for hours. It was some of my favorite, favorite times. Yeah, so drawing and and painting and dancing were a very natural expression for me from from the time I was a little, little, little girl. 
Yeah, and and uh, my sister and I are six years apart, so I had quite some time to be the only kid. And I remember <laughs> being carted around to all of their various parties, and I always knew that I was in like a happy and safe place. I had a little box that had paper and pens and crayons, and I would sit somewhere where I could see all of the adults' feet and, <laughs> and just draw and spend my time that way. That is so cute. Yeah, I mean, it's cute. It's kind of weird and introverted. I had been a dancer my whole life. When I was 13 years old, or maybe 12 years old, my ballet teacher, and I wish, I wish I could go back in time and remember that conversation because I don't know exactly what she said, but she saw something in me and said, I would like for you to assist. And so I started assisting her in the little kid classes And by the time I was 14, I was teaching dance. This is the only thing I've ever done. At such a young age, Amber has already discovered that dance is her first language. Now, it's not difficult to connect the dots. Dancing has been the art form for Amber to express herself and to help others to untangle the unease. But something else that has happened when Amber was young has played a major, major part in shaping her perspectives about life. This is something I say a lot because it is truly a a belief of mine that there are no such things as coincidences in life, that everything happens, happens for a reason. It is up to us to check into the depth of the emotional lesson, of the physical lesson, of the potential spiritual lesson. So, like what you said, we tried to connect and sit down in January, and then you threw out this date. And uh, tomorrow will be the anniversary of my father's death. He died when I was nine years old. He was hit and killed by a car. And one of my earliest memories, or most of my early memories, are of a really wondrous childhood where both of my parents worked in film. Their friends were makeup artists and costume designers and writers and directors and grip guys and lighting guys. My parents owned a home in the beaches and it was this beautiful open concept house that they bought in 1977 and then ripped out all the non-supportive walls. So it was open concept and no doors, like not even on the washroom. (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, it was forward thinking. It was also really open. And I think like that's the most beautiful memories that, that I have dear in my heart from that time in my life that I feel so grateful to have been surrounded by people who had joy and love and creativity and openness, not just in their heart, but in their everyday life. I mean, my parents had parties all the time. There was rap parties all the time. And people were were full of life and full of joy. And I share that about my father because I learned at a young age that we just don't get to know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And if there's something that you're longing for, if there's something that you know in your soul and in, in your truth, in the depths of who you are, 
because we all know intuitively, then like, what the fuck are you waiting for to do it now, now, right now, out of conviction and out of excitement and out of curiosity, out of, sure, maybe there's going to be fear, but like move past the fear because we don't get to know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I mean, after like years of therapy, believe me, this took like a really fucking long time to get to a place mm-hmm. of first just not even crying talking about it and then realizing that my father is with me all the time. Mm-hmm. He's a part of who I am. He shows up in really magical and miraculous ways. And he has my whole life. When I go back to the very beginning of me starting the studio, there were some undealt with pieces of myself that probably lingered from that old wound. You know, the wound of, which I think we are all so capable and sometimes to a fault go to as as a default reaction but like why did this happen to me versus why is this happening for me mm-hmm. and to change whatever the experience is into a, a lesson mm-hmm. into an opportunity of growth instead of um, trying to see yourself as a victim totally shift that perspective yeah or as a woe is me or why is the world out to get me or why did this you know i mean we could do that until we're blue in the face it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't change what happens and the only person that suffers when you keep recycling the same shit is you and so you know that's that's definitely been a common thread through my entire life Mm -hmm. trying to find what am i meant to learn from this out of whatever the experience is, both the highs and the lows. So, how do you think you get there to have that realization, looking for the lessons from the mistakes, from the hardships, from the experiences you had, instead of uh, blaming whatever is around you or even blaming yourself? How did you get there? You think? Yeah, I think that's the ultimate question, and I'm not really sure what. I know I have a curious mind, so I went to the place of, I mean, after years of art therapy, trying to work it out through art and drawing and painting, the emotions that I felt around this particular event where, you know, in an instant, my life changed. Mm -hmm. My mother's life changed. I have a younger sister. Her life changed the trajectory of what our life and then fascinatingly now to look back in retrospect on like the path that we've all chosen from that moment. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say what exactly it is, but I've always had both a curious mind and a determined part of myself that wants to grow and evolve and, and learn. I mean, people ask me this all the time. Like when I'm in a place of darkness, how do I get out? I hear this question all the time. I think it requires an open-mindedness. There has to be a willingness to shift the perspective, even just skew it slightly to look at it differently. And that's what allows enough space to let some breathing in, to let some light in. 
And then when you feel a bit lighter and you feel a bit more buoyant, then you want to actually process through. I really believe that movement, I mean, we use the saying movement is medicine. Mm -hmm. I really think that movement is the key so that we don't get stuck in our physical bodies. You know, when you're feeling really shitty and the last thing you want to do is move. And then the longer you stay in that shitty place and the longer you don't move, the more you feel stuck. Mm -hmm. And that stuck feeling starts to get sick. And we are a society that is rampant with sickness. I mean, fill in your blank with whatever sickness is to you. But you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Whether it's in our mind or in our physical body or in our limiting belief system we have. That I think the only way through that is to, to, I I call it untangling. It's like you got to untangle whatever feels stuck and heavy and thick in your body. Mm. And when you're in the process of untangling, you start to feel freedom inside and then you can breathe fuller. And then when you breathe fuller, your lungs inflate to their capacity and your body releases serotonin. Serotonin cascades over you. And you actually have a feeling of calm and peace that exists inside of us Mm -hmm. as human beings. That is part of our physiology. It's like we long to be able to take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. feel connected to the capacity of our breath, the slow quality of our heartbeat, because we are not meant to live in this apical breathing, which is in the upper portion of the respiratory system, this like right. where the heartbeat goes crazy. Yeah. You know, you can't feel a sense of calm. Mm. And if you're not calm, then you are certainly not connected to yourself. Mm. And if you're not, not connected to yourself, then you are not connected to anything. Mm. No body, no thing. No, it's just, it, it seems so obvious. Mm-hmm. But our pendulum has swung so far away from it that we forget these things. So when I was young and I taught dance and then I just kept teaching dance and then I went to OCAD and and I was experiencing the world of art and painting and I had shows and I was selling art. And my life, it kind of had no real direction, but it was full of creative expression every single day. It was amazing. I worked in, you know, weird little dance companies and and then I started teaching yoga and then Pilates and then I came up with this like thing. <laughs> that no one could really describe, but it was like, oh yeah, Amber's class. Amber just does this really different kind of class. And after traveling around, teaching at so many different studios in the city and never really feeling the support or that the studio owners had my back and wanted to honor this different thing, mm-hmm. that was that was when I, I did have a realization that if I wasn't going to do it on my own, then I didn't know what the next step was because I didn't want to keep working for people who didn't know how to support me. Because as we talk about, this thing is really new. Yes. You're interviewing so many different elements and put it together. And then can you not even put it in one box to describe and package it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I see it now as my expression of art. 
because I don't paint for a living, but I feel like I am in the process of creating art all the time. And that to me is a really special part of what Misfit Studio is about. So yeah, when I, when I decided to open my own studio, it was very reactionary. It was like, fuck you, all you other studios. I'm going to do my own thing. Let's see if, how that goes. <laughs> and that was eight years ago. Yeah, that was eight years ago. It was 2010. It was a teeny tiny little place right down the street from here on Dunn Avenue. I was living in Parkdale and, and my friend who had a little space and she was tattooing out of, it was really easy. It was like I was over there having some wine and she said, I'm going to move to Berlin. And I thought, well, what are you going to do with this little space? And then we both were like, oh my God, you should take it and open a studio. It was tiny. It was like this big. It was enough for six yoga mats. It was so liberating because I had my own space and I didn't have to answer to anyone. And I didn't have a studio owner saying like, turn the music off. (laughs) 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 And it was so liberating and, and free and joyous that I realized that was the piece that was missing. Did I have a business plan? Did I have any idea of what the direction or my foreseeable future was going to be? No, I didn't. But I did trust that I was doing the right thing. And there have been so many things that have showed up that I could never have anticipated. There's been, there's been tremendous highs and there's been tremendous lows. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the lows. <laughs> Right? The the lows are always so dirty. The highs are already on the internet, all over the press. I think people can go there and to see. Many of you know about Ember, knows about those achievements. Yeah. Isn't it so funny? That's what we talk about. Even though my greatest achievements are overcoming some really huge obstacles of stepping out of the way of myself. I used to get so tripped up by myself and my patterns And, you know, again, with like therapy and retrospect and with just enough time and space and distance to see it with a new light, I see that I was stuck in the same loop. I was doing the same shit over and over and over. What were you doing? I was like, I was a real pushover. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't know how to say no. And in the same breath, I really feel like... I was longing for validation. And so I called in these like wounded birds to my life. You know, people with some real dark shit. And I helped them through it, thinking that that was validating, that 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 was my place, that that was my sense of belonging, that that was the thing I was supposed to do. Like, oh, you're really fucked up? Come into my life. Let me help you through this. Let me be your therapist. Like shit all over me. Take everything I've got, including my energy, because I let them. And I did it over and over. I did it in romantic relationships. I did it with friendships, although they were not friends, but I didn't see it at the time. I did it despite my intuitive voice. Because if I can look back every single experience, there was always a moment I heard my wise woman inside go, Amber, don't do that. Don't go there. Wrong person for you. Wrong direction.
this is a good like full circle back to elements. There was in July 8th, 2013, there was that epic flood that happened in Toronto. The flood completely destroyed my studio. The first studio. The second studio, actually. So the first one, I was there for nine months. And by that time, there was, you know, 20, 30 people showing up for class. And I only had room for six. And I really did think it would die out. I thought that Toronto is such a, like, jump on a fad kind of city that I just didn't think it would last. But it did last. So I had to find a new space. Gratefully. I was grateful to find a new space. It was big and it was... Funny enough, similar to this, it was open concept. And most people said that I was crazy. Like, you can't hold a studio in a big, you know, empty, weird, open concept space. And I said, yes, I can. And I did. And it was, it really was special. But even in that specialness, there were some really dark characters around that I was tending to, that I was catering to, that dragged me down because I let them. And the flood that happened, so if water represents emotions, it was a wild wash of emotions. It was like a purging. It was a necessary wash that surfaced all the, the grit and the, and the grime and the dirtiness and the ugliness. And I feel like I saw it. I saw it all with new and clear and purified eyes. I saw all these characters. I saw their role in my life. I saw that it was because I was so fearful of standing in a role of a leader that I thought people would judge me for it, that I gave a shit about what people thought. I was still stuck there. I was still stuck on this idea that people were gonna say certain things about what I was doing or that they were going to think the studio was something that it wasn't. And that flood, it was like all the shit that for years I'd been hearing in therapy and reading about in books and trying my best to do the practice, I finally saw that you can't control what people are going to say and you can't control what people are going to do. They're going to say all that shit anyway but I could control the way I wanted to live my life and how I want to conduct my business at that point moving forward. And it was one of the hardest lessons for me because there was someone who was working for me who was very close and she was very integrated into the studio, but she was a toxic human and, and I knew it. And so did everybody else around me. And it was actually Nick that said, you know, either do something about that or stop talking about it. I don't want to hear it anymore. And he was relatively new in my life as well. So that was also really big to hear because I thought, wow, I do talk about this and I don't do anything about it. Hiding under my own fear. And the fear of having what? A really uncomfortable conversation that lasts, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then it's done. And then that relief that you feel when you finally said the thing that you've been wanting to say. So I did it once as like a really challenging practice. And just like this practicing the art of presence, you do it once and it feels really treacherous. And then you do it again, it feels still kind of icky. And then you do it again, it feels like 
okay, that wasn't so bad. And then you do it again and you think, oh, that felt really powerful. And then you do it again. And suddenly it's like, oh, there's my strength. Oh, that's my truth. I'm not speaking from a place that's meant to harm. I have no malicious desire or bone in my body. But saying to someone, your behavior is causing this sensation in my body and I don't want to put up with that anymore. So our time together is done. Eventually starts to feel really empowering. And the more I did that, the more I realized that there was spaciousness. And I was experiencing my own untangling where I could really feel clarity and truth. And from that place, a stronger sense of self and a stronger sense of vision and not a fear of being a leader, but an excitement about what that responsibility actually meant. Because for whatever reason, this is what I'm supposed to do. I do believe that. I feel like I am a conduit when I teach. Like something taps into me and I am a channel. And I've known that since I was 12 years old, 13 years old when I was teaching other people. And so the clearer I got in standing in that place of truth, then my magnetic pull started to draw in people who were like-minded, who were on the same sort of journey of self-discovery, of healing their old wounds, of doing their best to be the best version of themselves. And then suddenly there was no toxic people around anymore. Suddenly there there was no treacherous conversations to have anymore. And suddenly, if there was a bit of friction, it was really easy to deal with because it was like, hey, I'm feeling a bit of friction. Are you too? Let's just talk about this. Simple, not weighted and heavy and complex. That's what we do in our mind. And we make it way worse than it is. But I can see the tremendous ripple effect that has occurred from it because then shit just got clear. Then I got clear as a teacher and then I realized, Oh, if this is what clarity feels like, and I've got people that want to work for me because they like what they feel in their body or they like the experience of the openness in the studio or they're drawn to the community of people who are interested in moving this unique way. That's when I had the flash of, I'm actually teaching a method. This is a method. I guess I need to write this method down. (laughs) <laughs> and then teach people. Yeah. And then that opened up a Yeah. Step. Totally. And then and then it was oh, maybe I need some help. And a really good friend of mine who had been saying for a few years at that point, let me help you. I said, "Okay, I think the time is right." When was that? That was 3 years ago. Oh. And so then I could step into my role of really cultivating a clear method and teaching the teachers how to exist in the method, how to teach in the method, how to live in the method. And that's where my focus was. Whereas Andrea could focus on how to run the business, how to do all the back-end stuff, how to keep the website up, how to have people sign in and sign out write the checks (laughs) because it's a business and I mean that's just one example but that was the biggest example in retrospect although the flood has destroyed Amber's second studio 
it has also become the catalyst of her personal transformation and the shift of a misfit studio. I think the greatest learn from all of this is, I can't be good at everything.、Mm. I don't want to be good at everything. I know what I'm good at, and calling in the people who are good at other skills, so that our team, so that our family, is so richly set up. Someone was a really good cook. Someone was a really good fire starter. Someone was a really beautiful musician. Someone was a dancer, and suddenly there's a meal and entertainment, and it's a journey. It's a constant journey. I think it's really an amazing thing to learn something new every day. If you're still listening, you have probably noticed that there has been a common thread throughout each of Amber's experience, that is keeping on learning, whether it's from one full of joy. Or from a tragic one that brings her tons of pain. The question she intends to always ask herself is, "What am I meant to learn from this experience?" And in order to have time to self-reflect and just be, Amber chooses to spend as much time as she can in nature. I love quiet time alone, and I think actually it's. I think it's a really important piece for us as human beings, rather than human doings, to come back into a place of balance. Ooh, right? We've become human doings. What are you doing? Doing this? Doing this? I'm so fucking busy. Everything's so busy. But we're human beings. We forget how to just be. It's、uh, actually an art now. Just be. Yeah. Yeah. It was impossible. It's so true. I call it practicing the art of presence. It's the ask at the beginning of every class I teach. Like, can we all just do ourselves a favor and practice the art of presence for one hour, one hour at a time, which usually means one breath at a time. Right. Yeah. One hour nowadays is really, really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so ironic when you think about. You know, we were just talking about Europe and traveling in Europe. I'm always reminded of how things took years, like hundreds of years, to build a beautiful building or a fresco on the ceiling of the building. No one does that anymore. All glasses, <laughs> you know. I feel like all these buildings are、so、cubicles now, like so small, and then all the new buildings are just. So close to each other, there's no sense of space. When you are trapping a cubicle, which costs actually a lot right now nowadays, it's almost there's no chance to do that.、Mm-hmm. And I think like if we start to just listen with maybe a little more openness, or if we attune our ears to certain things, then we can hear the human being part that we really long to be connected to nature. That we are comprised of all of these elements. We are air. We are water. We are anger because we have fire in us. Fuck yeah! <laughs> And we need that fire right now because it is time to burn some ugly shit away. I mean, it is angry out there, but I actually think it's necessary. How do you tap into nature that grounds you? 
I really like to burn incense and smudge and that to me helps ground and level me. That's the powerful way that scent and and smudge can absolutely drop us back in. It's amazing. It's just a really simple thing. <laughs> um, and I like to spend as much time as possible in nature. That really helps. That really helps. I love it. It's um, a reminder of how small and insignificant. (laughs) You know, when you're standing on a mountain, we are the thing that comes and goes. It remains. Trees. Imagine being able to have a conversation with a tree. (laughs) Hundreds, hundreds of years old, like the shit that tree has seen. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm going to become this crazy person talking to a tree. (laughs) That is so true. The mountains, the tree, the river has been there. Yeah. Long before us. Long before us. And it has seen, you know, terrible things and beautiful things. Mm. And yet it knows its own strength. Yeah. I've been rereading seven spiritual laws of success or something like that. I think that's the title, Deepak Chopra. And there's this beautiful section where he talks about the desire for more, how we are so obsessed with this desire for more. And he said, you know, do you think a peach thinks to itself, okay, what, when is the right time to grow? And should I grow bigger? Should I grow now? He's like, no, the, <laughs> the peach just grows. The peach just grows. The, the chrysalis, the caterpillar becomes a chrysalis and then turns into a butterfly. It just does it. The tree just grows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The flower just blooms. It doesn't think, how can I do this better? But that also comes with another flip side is that drive, that fire you talk about. Mm. So I would argue that's kind of like the double edges. Mm. When as a human, we have that. And on the other side, that fire that wanted more in a right way, in the not an ego-driven way. Yes. And I think that's when it's not, that's when it comes from a place of truth. Because if we all do the work that we theoretically are meant to do, then we find what we're meant to do in this life. Mm. And I think when you know what you're supposed to do, when you finally land it on the right path and everything intuitively is working out for you, then there's no real, I mean, yes, there's drive because you got to get up and get your shit done. Mm. But it's not from a place of determination that is then like driving the success factor. Because Mm. what is success? Like, what does that even really mean? Whereas if you are in a place of truth and sharing what you feel you are meant to share as your being, as your gift in the act of service, because that's when I think it actually makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Then, then sure, there's like, there's passion because there's passion and that maybe is part of the fire, but it's not angry right. and it's not ego. It's just truth. big on 
use the language, the art of language. I would say,、mm. even earlier when we we're talking about something, you corrected yourself because you wanted to use a different language. Dance is your language. So can you maybe explain a little bit more about why languages are so important?、Mm-hmm. You know, I started to recognize this when I was asked to answer questions, or when I was asked, "What is this misfit thing about?"、Mm-hmm. And I couldn't put it into word.、Mm-hmm. I found it really challenging because I'm not really sure what it is. And now you have to put it into a box. <laughs> yeah.、Right? Yeah. You have to. Almost describe it in a package box. And if you don't have it down in an elevator pitch, then you lose people's attention.、Yeah. And I always say you can't know what the studio is about until you come and take a class.、Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm just telling you something. Is it Pilates? Yes,、yeah, sort of. Is it yoga? Yeah, also sort of. Is it dance? Ah,、uh, yeah, a bit.、Mm-hmm. Is it mindfulness? Is it practicing the art of presence? Yes, but more than that, it's become a place of healing. It helps people step confidently onto the path of healing. And so I noticed that that kind of languaging changed the way the conversations were going. You know, this isn't a get fit quick place or six moves to get like a six pack abs. Like none of that shit. No. To describe, you don't like the word abs. You would say core. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I prefer core. I prefer the word movement, because yeah, I mean, we could go into so many different tangents. Core to me speaks to the ability you have to tap into your truth, to trust and feel supported by your own strength. And until you know what your truth is, you can't really stand in your ultimate strength. And that to me is core. All the other stuff is the muscular, you know, slightly as we move exteriorly,、um, superficial. But it's like the depth of what that word is is what matters. Yes, we do core exercises at the studio. <laughs> yes,、mm-hmm. ultimately they're meant to strengthen、Eight、the、parts. physical body. <laughs> After twenty minutes, I feel like my inside's burning. Yeah, and then there's that fire again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but languaging. Going back to the question, that's that's how it started to show up for me. That I was asked these questions, and and that was also interesting. That it was always the same question, like nothing original or unique. Or that also was really strange. Like, what is this question and answer thing? If it's just all the same recycled answer, yeah. And so I thought, okay, this is my creative way of stepping into. If there is an exchange, if I'm in the process of dialogue with someone who is asking questions because theoretically they want to get to know the studio more or write a story about it or whatever they're doing,、right. then I saw it as an opportunity to share what else goes on,、mm-hmm. and that can really only happen with using other language, like referring to how I feel movement is an untangling, is a physical untangling. And the more we participate in the process of physically untangling、mm-hmm. all the knots and the held space in our body, then the more our mind wants to replicate that same freedom. Then the more we live in that state of openness, and then, and then it opens the dialogue to talk about 
what I like to call the dance of remembering and forgetting. Mm. Because we know this. We are intuitive beings. We always know the things that we're meant to do. It's so hard to listen to the inner voice, though. Yes. But I do think that inner voice knows how to speak with kindness, knows how to speak with tenderness, knows how to show us the way. Like, I think that's ultimately where we all start from. Then why we get lost along the way and forget about that voice? I I mean, again, this is... inside of us. Yeah, exactly. This is like the age-old question. Because we see that children are free and clear of suffering from their own anxiety that they're making up in their head. They live with joy. Yeah. You know what? I have to share one story. Mm. Really, really open my, my mind. Talking about children, I was in waiting for a streetcar. I was frustrated. So many people and then just crowded. And I want to get to where I want to go. And then I got a little bit caught into the moment. And then this little kid, I think he was maybe five. I don't know how old he was. And he was so excited. He was like, Mom, Mom, I'm going to take streetcar. Woo! He was like, that was the best day of his life. Yeah. That is to me. <laughs> to me. That like shift my mindset. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, streetcar is fun. That's, I want to be back to that kid again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. inner child that lives inside of us. Mm-hmm. That wants to be free and live with joy and dance when a song comes on that moves you. And not feel like, oh God, what do I look like? Or who's going to be looking at me? Yeah. None of that. Yeah. I also think that's a really beautiful example of, of this ability that we have to shift the perspective. Mm-hmm. To live with a place of consciousness or from a place of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Because everything, even waiting for a streetcar and it's hot and sticky and there's a million people also waiting, could be an opportunity to... Yeah see it differently. I call it practicing the art of presence because there's two words in there that are really rich. The practice part. Nothing gets strong and clear and natural as a part of you without practice. Mm -hmm. And then seeing it as an art. I mean, I went to OCAD and drawing is one of my favorite things and drawing with charcoal. But I remember over the years of drawing nude figures, you know, the first, the first one or two or 10 or a hundred are going to be like, meh. Practice, practicing an art. But then maybe at the hundredth or the millionth, it starts to change form and it starts to feel a bit familiar and it starts to look a little more refined. Maybe by year three, it's so ingrained on a cellular level of who you are that it's just the way you are. And that's why I choose to say it as this is a practice of the art of presence. Because again, if Like we live in such a complex time and we like to make things complex. But I actually think we long for simplicity, human beings, not human doings. And then back to this elemental connection, earth, air, fire, water. It's really simple. It's actually really simple. But we've made it so complex with like everything else. Fill in the blanks, you know, pods and buildings and fucking phones and Instagram and like, Oh, I mean, I have a theory. <laughs> Please do share. Oh, this is where this is where I start to lose people. I can see the like eyes glazing over, but it's not my theory. I study astrology. I think astrology is fascinating because ancient civilizations use the stars and the planets as a map, as a guide, as a way to understand 
what's going on. We are experiencing is a paradigm shift. We have been living in a patriarchal world. We have been ruled by singular, I, masculine, me, ego-driven, fire, anger, passion, quote-unquote success, being the determining factors of of this this great push Mm -hmm. for more, for bigger, for now, Mm -hmm. for my way. I'm going to dictate. I'm going to make all the rules. And what we are witnessing is that it doesn't work anymore. People are starting to question all these things that have been written, that have been followed for years. Rules and regulations, government, systems. We're looking at like, why do we do that? Why is the government the way it is? Why is the voting system the way it is? I mean, we don't, I don't want to get political, but. That'll be another episode. (laughs) Sure. I mean, sure. Invite a few people. That could be really interesting. (laughs) But we're starting to look at hey, I don't have to follow that rule. Mm. But in order to get to the place of creating new rule, we got to break down and burn through all the old shit that doesn't work anymore. It's like airing out a really filthy sheet. We're airing it all out. We're surfacing all the stuff that has been buried for years that no one wants to talk about. They would rather just keep going along like everything's fine. Mm. But... There is a courageousness and a connection to, I think, what's ultimately is seeking the truth mm-hmm. and not just masking it with this like one-sided, one-dimensional, one-person dictating everything way. And so that is this great shift from the patriarchy into the matriarchal system. And then in terms of astrology, we are moving into the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius is living with community. It's living in community. Hey, what are you really good at? You're really good at gathering people. You're really good at creating new dialogue. You're really good at documenting it. And I see that. So I want to honor that and celebrate it and support it. And me, I don't know how to write shit down. I'm terrible at organizing. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, everyone come over at six o'clock. If you can't make it, that's all right. But I can guide people in a movement experience that helps them connect back to themselves. And that's my skill. And you see it. And ultimately, if we all learn how to do this and see each other for what their skill set is and what their truth is and celebrate it, then we can work together in community. We can work together holding hands you know, in a greater version of what I like to try to do with my own studio, which is supporting the uniqueness and the individuality of every single person to build a stronger foundation for community, for group, for tribe. Not just like, I'm fending for myself because I want to be famous and successful. last I want to tackle is you mentioned earlier which I didn't know about is the digital class oh yes yes that's such a smart move thank you Andrea was one of the team members idea to 
because it's limited to have the space. It's beautiful to bring experience offline, but now you almost reverse it and then to bring that experience online um, with so much you know, noises out there. Almost the fitness world has been a little bit oversaturated. Yes. So now entering that platform, what's your biggest fear? Do you Ooh. have any fear? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yes, great, great question. Okay, so at first, when Andrea started working with me three years ago, we created a list, which was her idea of, you know, one day we'll get to. Like, what is, what is the dream list? Which I had also never done. And so on that list was building a teacher training program. Which we have achieved already. And we'll be starting our third year. But I mean, when I say teacher training, I mean, it had to be interesting and unique and different and not follow the same format. But we did that. And yes, three years. Open a second location. Check. Mm -hmm. Create a dancewear line with Fortnite collaboration. Check. New colors coming Ooh. in November. Which color? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I can reveal. Oh, <laughs> such a tease. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A little anticipation. Okay. Mm. Let's <laughs> and then online videos and we've checked everything off of the list so that's how it surfaced it was Andrea's idea I think she really saw a potential for that marketplace my fear first exactly what you said the quote-unquote fitness world is oversaturated and I thought how can I do this in a way that really showcases and, and shares what Misfit Studio is about in a limited capacity. You know, you can't control the sound or the scent or for the most part. Right. Even the energy as well. The energy, yes, yes, yeah. that is exactly, that was my biggest hesitation. So I thought, how could this ultimately become like a black and white silent film? Like, how could I turn this into a creative expression, like a Busby Berkeley film, where it was black and white and it was granular and it looked like art. And we just happened to be doing some moves that you can follow along if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little bit funky. But <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, so ultimately, it's not that. It's videos of the classes, of the method that Nick did all the music for. But it is black and white, and it is granular. And we shot the first round in the Queen location. We shot the second round in the Ossington location. So it really shows what the studio life is like if you don't get a chance or haven't had a chance to That's get to the idea. studio. Yeah, and back to this idea of like I, learning how to relax into the things I can't control. I can't control how loud people are going to listen to it. I can't control if they're going to do the whole thing and I am not in their space encouraging them with inspirational words. But putting it out felt really great. Mm -hmm. And we've got some beautiful feedback. Some people seem to really dig it. They do it at home if they're, they can't make it out or if they've just had a baby or if they're traveling or, not in the city. or if they're not even in the city. We offer 30 day challenges four times a year. And for the first time we accepted if there was <laughs> social media proof <laughs> that you used, um, one of our videos that, that it could be counted mm. in the 30 day challenge. 
And that was really exciting. It was amazing to see how many people wanted to use it and, and use it as a platform. Yeah. You mentioned all the lists you have scratched off. So what other lists coming up that is still on that vision board yeah. waiting to be checked? Yeah. Andrea and I are meeting on Tuesday to come up with a brand new vision board. Oh, really? So these old vision board, all the lists there are being checked. Everything's been checked off. Wow. Yeah. That feels good, doesn't it? It feels really good. There was actually one other thing I, I didn't mention that was on the list, which was retreats to take the misfit method and travel around the world. I love to travel and to do this yeah. beautiful movement and, and practicing presence in other parts of the world. So we did, I think, three or four last year. We have some really exciting ones coming up this year. Morocco. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, you might have to come I to that one. Have, yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited! Morocco. Yeah, have you always wanted to go? Yeah, me too. Oh my god. Okay, okay, that, that's very exciting. Yeah, planting seeds. Okay, so <laughs> last is rapid fire. Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's be fast because I don't want to take too much rapid fire. Time. Rapid fire. Okay. If you could choose to be born in any city in the world, which city would you pick? City. Ooh. Like in a different time. Yeah, that's my next question. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would say New York, but not now. New York, you know, like long ago, New York. When? Prohibition. So now it's a package of questions. Okay. Can you please use three or less words to describe the following? Okay. Love. Love is love. Aging. Inevitable. Nostalgia. Hmm. Twinkly. Style. Necessary. Soul. Mandatory. Art. Everything. So can you write a short love note to a future self? Ooh. Dear future Amber, the evolution of life and the aging process is something that can be looked at with beauty and grace. Don't forget it. So now is three truths and wisdom you can share with others or share with yourself if in the future robots or aliens take over the world. We only have three pieces of advice we can take with us and we wake up with no memories. <laughs> so these are the wisdom going to guide us through. Do the hard work to get to know yourself. Drink more water than you think every single day. And remember the elements. Spend as much time in nature as possible. And the last question, I promise, <laughs> is what you are currently seeking. Ooh. This is your dear seeker's inspiration. <laughs> yeah. I am currently seeking the strength and the wisdom and the love to heal the real dark wounds that still remain. That's it. Oh, thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Ooh. We really have been talking for 14 hours. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're on to the photo shoot part. <laughs> Ooh, the now it's the fun part. <laughs>
Amber is one of the women you just can't stop listening to her. I could listen to her forever, and you must visit our website ideasecrets.com to see all the photos taken at Amber's home. Why? Well, her open concept loft in Parkdale is a combination of Alice in Wonderland and an antique store. It's not like anything I've ever seen before. You have to go check it out. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Don't be shy. Your words will really mean a lot to me. And if you like listening on Spotify, you can also meet us there as well. For those of you who are more visual, we are also on Instagram and Pinterest as Dear Seekers. So thank you so much for listening. See you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking.